a quarter to three movie podcast for Haywire. <laughs> My name is Tom Tick, and I am here with Christian, uh, Mer- what? Christian Merlansky, I think. Jang. <laughs> and with a Haywire tagline, we hope and pray, Kelly Wand. Gina Carano. <laughs> Does it have one of those tilde marks over the R, Kelly Wand? Is that what that was? Whatever it's got, <laughs> I like it. Hot extract indeed. Uh, well, let's save it for the podcast oh. first. Uh, Dingus, what the heck is Haywire? What kind of name is that for a movie? And without spoiling anything, what is this Haywire thingamabob? All right, well, this week we saw Haywire. Mm-mm. A 2012 action thriller movie mm-hmm. directed by Steven Soderbergh and written by Lem Dobbs. Mm-hmm. It stars Gina Carano as a special contractor who knows how to fight a little bit. <laughs> the movie also stars Channing Tatum, mm-hmm. Michael Angarano, mm-hmm. Michael Fassbender, and mm-hmm. Ewan McGregor. Haywire is rated R for some violence. <laughs> That's all? That's it. Some right. violence. So that's a PG-13 rating, too, is some. So it's just like... That's all the MPA has to say. The needle's and R. Yeah, it's some violence. Huh. It's some violence. It's like, oh, yeah. it's like some pig. <laughs> Terrific. Uh, so Haywire opened this weekend. It had a $9 million opening, which is, uh, I guess you could call that modest. It doesn't help that it was going up against another movie about a chick kicking butt. Uh, starring Kate Beckinsale, uh, Underworld, uh, Underworld led this weekend. Uh, Contagion even beat Haywire. Uh, it was a crowded weekend for actioners. As Contagion beat Haywire. Oh, Contagion! Good lord, what is it called? Contraband. Oh. <laughs> Did they release? Oh, I like right. I like the your three, version. Three D Contagion came out this weekend. Contraband. Uh, uh. Contraband is kind of like Contagion. They're both these nondescript words that. Uh, they mean the same thing, more or less. Contagion in 3D would be just as sad, entertaining as Titanic in 3D. I think Contagion in 3D would be just as entertaining as Contagion. <laughs> and uh, so let's see. Haywire had a $9 million opening, fairly modest, uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, which gauges the percentage of reviews that are positive. It's currently at 82% amongst critics. little interesting side note, if you look at how it's doing uh, with audiences... It's only at 54%. Wow, wow, what? Yeah. Uh, It's like Mitt Romney, and they're out of touch with the uh, rednecks. I'll bet you $10,000 that's right. Don't bet anymore. Uh, (laughs) On Metacritics, which measures the uh, relative rating of all of the reviews, it's right at 67%. Uh, so that is... <laughs> so wait, let's review. An yep. 82, right. a 67, and a 54. Now I know what to expect. Thank well, you. These, these all track very different things, Kelly Wand. Uh, what? I thought how good the movie is. is the single <laughs> That's a good point. Fair enough. These all these all approach that, that data point from different angles, shall we say. Event Horizon. I find this stuff interesting. Other folks may not, but we're now done with me. What so have we, we learned about it from that? We've learned about it that uh, there is ambivalence amongst audiences and critics. 
and yeah. that not a lot of people paid to see it because they all went to see Kate Beckinsale throwing grenade pins. And what's the how many people liked that? Uh, you know what? I do not have that uh, at a handy. Let me get back to you on that, Kelly Wan. I don't care that much. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine. Please, come on. Underworld, That that I'm guessing that's probably somewhere around like 40% critics, if even that. I'll bet it's so different from the other nine Underworld movies. I'll bet it's lit totally different. What I will bet is that it's <laughs> Resident Evil Apocalypse. No, Retribution's the new one. They found it's got no. another noun to have after. <laughs> it's good that they still have some of those to use. Right. Uh, what was the 3D one? Apocalypse, right? The one you liked was... I feel like there was one after Apocalypse. Because I remember thinking, oh, Apocalypse, this must be the last one, and now there's two more. No, Extinct Evolution, or, uh, yeah. Uh, it's uh, something dumber, like Extradition or something. <laughs> epilogue edition. I like that. Anyway. Uh, so let's get back to Haywire. Kelly Wand, uh, so if you're listening and you have not seen Haywire, I want to warn you, we have seen it and we're about to start spoiling things, beginning with Kelly Wand here, who will lay out in... Uh, more or less exhaustive detail, everything that happens in the movie. You mean exhausting? Maybe. We'll find out. You be uh, the judge. You be the judge. Well, I think that this one's weak. So if you don't like it, I have the virtue of predicting you wouldn't like it, which wow, this one so seem you better. You kind of you don't, you don't even endorse this week's synopsis, you're saying? Uh, I'm, a little, I'm a little gimped this week, physically and otherwise. So, you know, you get what you pay for, and you got this for free. Suck it. Kelly One, let me ask, would you endorse more heartily this week's synopsis or Newt Gingrich? Mm, as a what? <laughs> a pinata? As a, as a, let's say, a marriage partner. As a president, I would pick this synopsis. Okay, good. Uh, well, okay, let's, let's hear it, and we'll be the judge of that. Hey, wipes us. Mm. That was a trouble. I found that hard. I immediately went, oh, that's an omen for how the whole thing's going to sound. Because I was like, hey, what? Kelly, before you start, I just want to say, Mm -hmm. sometimes I feel, I I find that your synopses make me watch movies differently. In that, sometimes I am watching a movie, and I'm thinking to myself. This is where Kelly will do a fart joke. No, no, no. I'm thinking to myself, if Kelly were to just straight up describe what is happening in the movie, (laughs) would it sound any different than one of his wacky synopses? And if the answer to that is no, I think the movie has a problem. So there were times I think I was, it necessarily does. Okay, well I just want to say there were times I was watching synops, uh, watching synopsis, watching <laughs> watching Haywire, thinking Kelly Warren could just say what's happening and it would be funny. Huh. So I don't know. We'll see if that. Uh, if well, I, this isn't like that. Okay. <laughs> well, let's see what you've done. Rock and roll. Hey, wipes us. Uh, so Rona Mitre, Mitra. Oh. Ooh, boo, synopsis. <laughs> she plays this character who's named after both Robert E. Howard's Puritan pilgrim clone of Conan and the camel-faced sister from Family Ties, but with more toe and less face. <laughs> Wait, there's more. She works for a private firm that does covert martial arts sequences for the government. So she goes to a Bob's Big Boy in the woods and orders some pinecone casserole, and then a dude comes in, like that scene at the beginning of Martha Stewart, Magdalene Heimer Smith, and goes, something, something, MacGuffin, Chinese journalist, non-faked physical Chekhov's gun. And the waitress goes, hi, I'm a waitress. Can I get you a sharp knife and fork or a broken bottle? 
And he's all, uh, you got scalding hot chocolate by any chance? And she's all, we got milk. And he's all, no, it's PG-13. Just surprise me. So she leaves. And he's all, well, you getting in the car? Do I have to somehow get the local police and deer to believe a bunch of stupid shit? What's your problem anyway? And she's all, uh, Barcelona, Dublin, New Mexico, this place in about 10 seconds. And he's all, sorry, hold that thought. Wait for the waitress. Uh, here she is, coming back. One sec. No, that's a different one. Here she comes. Nope, wrong order. Oh, wait, she's standing right behind me. Jesus, lady, you scared me. And then the waitress says a tray with a squeeze bottle of ketchup on it. And she's all, uh, this is all we have. That'll be $100. And he's all, plus a few thousand in property damage and lawsuits. And the waitress is all, what the? But then he grabs the ketchup and tries to squirt Rona Mitra in the face with it. But it just wheezes emptily. And uh, he bangs it on the table a few times, and then he squirts a few droplets on her hair and a little in her ear. <laughs> a ten-minute hey, fight scene. That, that's three. <laughs> <laughs> a ten-minute fight sequence ensues, and the kid from Sky High is there eating some hash browns and tries to help out. But when it comes to martial arts, he's no Shia LaBeouf. So he gets his orm, his orm tarn off. <laughs> It wasn't even a typo. It was a speco. And loses an eye. And the bad guy slips in the ketchup, and he keeps falling in it over and over again while they pay their bill and get their coats and finish eating and watch the end of the Trailblazers game on the TV about the bar. And then they drive away, and he's still falling in the ketchup. So they drive through the woods, and the sky-high kid goes, I think I'm hurt pretty bad, but since we have a couple minutes before the cops kill us, tell me your life story. And she's all, ordinarily I wouldn't, because then your life would be in danger. But I liked how you handled yourself back there. And he's all, let me guess, you're a drug dealer, because they always use martial arts in diners. And she's all, I have no name, but it's Mallory Kane, which sounds like a cool made-up spy name, but it's my real one, because my dad has the same surname. He wrote this famous book about cabin renovation called Semper Fi, which isn't that helpful for me undercover-wise. He gave me a signed copy of it when I graduated from the Navy SEAL Spy Academy, which I thought was kind of tacky. But anyway, my boss is Michael Douglas, and Ewan McGregor's somebody's boss. Things were going great for me till Barcelona. And he's all, actually, can you just let me out up here? And she's all, yeah, Barcelona. It's Spanish for flashback. <laughs> and the screen goes out of focus after a few seconds of her looking impatiently at the camera and us and yawning. And we're back at Barcelona, where her job, should she have chosen to accept it, was to get a Chinese journalist, which is a huge industry in Barcelona, from a hotel lobby to a waiting car without him getting shot. The guy tries to shoot him, but then he gets scared and runs away. But Rona Mitra tricks him by lowering a sliding door on his pancreas and then flipping him off. And back in the truck, she's all, I guess that's the moment I realized I don't speak Chinese. And she looks over and the sky-high kid's hung himself in the seat beside her, like that old lady in airplane. <laughs> So the mission's a vague success, and to celebrate, she undoes the belt and pants of the ketchup guy that night, who's one of her partners on the assignment. Since he's not a great fighter, his job was to second-guess her and tell her her plans are stupid, and to never shoot anybody. So Michael Douglas tells her that her next job is to look hot at a party and get framed for the murder of the Chinese guy by Michael Fassbender in Dublin. And she's all, what? Me look hot? That's never been part of my job description. I've never worn a dress before. What kind of spy do I look like? 
This congeniality was my life story in a nutshell, although personally I think it would have worked better as a play, or possibly statuary. What the... And he's all, come on, that Zoe chick from Death Proof called in sick, help us out. <laughs> so she goes to Dublin, where Tom's favorite rugby team plays, and she finds out she's been set up by feigning drunkenness, going to the attic, raising a sailcloth, and finding the Chinese dude's body. That's how she found out, not how she was set up. Anyway, it's clutching the silver brooch that her boss told her to wear, because murder victims always clasp clothing items of their killers in their cold, dead fists. It's how the silver brooch industry stays profitable. Her treacherous partner almost fast-bends her, but she kills him by wrapping her succulent thighs and black pantyhose around his neck and squeezing till her clitoris squeezes the trigger of the gun hidden in her vagina and makes him die of pleasure. She looks over at the sky-high kid in the truck beside her. She's telling all this to. He's unhung himself and goes, So let that be a lesson to you. And he looks down at his erection and goes, Uh, I'm a double agent too? And she smiles grimly and goes, Ain't we all, kid? And the only thing I hate worse than a double agent is a body double agent. So the cop set up a roadblock and she's all, Hang on. So he grabs her boobs and she spins the car around a 720 and drives through the snowy woods. But there's another roadblock, so she's all, Hang more on. So she goes in reverse and they hit another roadblock. So she has to drive sideways for a while, then upside down and diagonally. Then they hit a deer hunter and run out of transmission fluid, so the cops catch him. And since she's proven she's a deadly martial artist, they cuff her with uh, ordinary handcuffs and put her in the back and drive her through the woods toward a rendezvous with the bad guys instead of the police station. She's all, look, I'm a private sector spy. You guys are all going to get shot in the head by my former bosses. I have a phone number. You can check my story out. And they're all, look, cupcake, this ain't first blood. We're law enforcement professionals, (laughs) part-time lumberjacks. Shut your pie hole. We'll cuff that pretty mouth of yours up with our blam, blam, they're dead from faceless bad guys outside somewhere. So she uses Jim Cotter to catch the sheriff's gun with her boob, and she shoots nine dudes with it, then drives off while the state of Oregon blows up in the rear window, and the kid from Sky High lands in the passenger seat as his exploding car lands in front of him, and she rocket jumps the police car over it, and he's all, I just made my last payment, and she's all, sorry to get you mixed up in this, but telling the story chronologically might not have been as confusing. (laughs) And he's all, it's cool. At least I have a really meandering story to tell my grandkids. Uh our grandkids and she's all sorry i only do guys who betray me so obi-wan and the guys she beat up in the diner and some other guys converge on her dad's mountain cabin to meet with her and the phone rings and her dad's the lovably whiny marine from aliens and she's all sorry to get you mixed up in this pop and he's all uh not sure why you needed to kill all these dudes here in my house but you're welcome And he puts her on speakerphone, and she goes, Listen up, screwheads. I'm the only chick in this movie, so stop pretending you can do shit to me. And Obi-Wan's all, But you killed a Chinese journalist. That's something the American government won't tolerate. Turn yourself in. <laughs> His accent changes as he speaks, which I thought was really bad acting on you, McGregor. But anyway, I'm trying to describe it faithfully. So she's all, hey, Kenny, the guy beat up in the diner, look it. And she sends him a JPEG of the dead Chinese guy on his eye thing. And he's all, what the? And Obi-Wan's all, I can explain that, and shoots him in the stomach. And Kenny's all, ow, why'd you do that? I thought you were going to explain something. And Obi-Wan's all, sorry, my gun went off there, but I can explain that too. 
blam, blam, shoots him in the face. And Kenny's all, oh, you did it again. This really hurts. Look, maybe put your gun away before you explain anymore. I think it's hindering rather than helping at this junk. Blam, 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 blam. Obi-Wan borrows his friend's gun. The guy from Aliens goes here and loans him his piece, and he shoots the guy 20 more times. And then Kenny's all, still not following you. And he falls asleep. So Sandra Buttock turns off the lights, even though she's not wearing IR goggles, and kicks all her enemies to death. And her dad's all, I love you. So she meets Michael Douglas in a garage. He gives her a paycheck. She goes to a beach and kicks Obi-Wan till he tries to trick her by running away and getting his foot caught under a rock and then answering all her questions and then drowning and succeeds. Then she goes to Brazil and tricks Antonio Banderas by ringing his doorbell and crawling around on his roof, then dropping down behind it. He saw, wait. End credits. I take it my character can't fight? <laughs> Endless, but occasionally. Uh, Kelly Wad, I just, if that's the product of a broken foot, I hope you break your foot more often. Ah. <laughs> really? Uh, all right, let's start hey, this. Dingus, get in here. Why don't you kick us off? You've been doing some homework this week. Uh, how does Haywire fit into uh, Steven Soderbergh's other movies, and uh, how did you find it? Yeah, I think it wedges in nicely, in, in, as far as the Steven Soderbergh experience is concerned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nicely. That's uh, okay. okay. He used the word wedges, by the way. I'm not sure how to take that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, I guess you guys didn't like it, and I loved it. How about if I just say that? Hmm. It's my turn, yeah. Kelly Wand, take it away. Dingus I, loved it. What do you have to say about that? I liked it a lot. I don't think like, Dingus is totally nuts. Okay, so we go from loved it to liked it a lot, and yes. I will be covering this podcast's didn't care for it that much. Wah, wah, wah. I know. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. <laughs> you obviously hate women. Strong women characters. <laughs> Sexist pig. Uh, I did. I was I was mostly delighted with Gina Carano. Uh, I didn't think she was much of an actress. I okay, Well, let's let's talk about that. So how did uh, I, it, yeah, I, how did you find Gina Carano in, in this role, Kelly? I was going to say, I see a lot of reviewers picking on her acting, but I just saw that as an extension of her character. Like, she just finds talking cumbersome, and she prefers to talk to her. <laughs> Because in most spy movies, they're always talking convincingly, but then when they fight, it's all lame. Ah. So, yes, it's like you're 99% of 100. I mean, she fights way more than she talks. But I even liked how she talked. She was doing it for me. I support Eugenia Carano. Make more movies. Uh, <laughs> I de- you know, well, I definitely agree with that. I want to see her do more, but this reminded me of that kind of 80s... Uh, trend of just taking some guy who can fight and throwing him into an action movie regardless of whether or not he can do regardless of whether or not he can hold the movie I think uh, that's, that's that's not fair you're gonna you're gonna no no I was gonna say that is fair but I liked how she fought and I liked how I too. Soderbergh staged his action sequences and I was all whiny and finicky about Hannah's action sequences because I think they ruined what was otherwise a perfect movie for me personally mm-hmm. and I just like Soderbergh has just like Here's what's going on in the shot. You know where everything is, and you have all the information you need. Well, before we talk about that, let's let's stick with Gina Carano for a minute. I want to get Dingus in here. So, Dingus, you, I think, have seen more of Soderbergh's attempts to work with non-actors. He's not shy about that. I applaud that. Uh, You have seen Girlfriend Experiment or Experience? Experiment. Experiment. And I know you have seen Bubble. 
both of which have uh, non-actresses of a very different caliber uh, in the leading role, and I think are similar in ways to Haywire. Uh, how does Gina Carano fit in that trend for you? Well, first of all, I want to get a T-shirt that says, I find talking cumbersome, and wear that around. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I think one of the things that I loved about watching those three movies again this week, or actually those two movies again, and then Haywire again this week, is that I think Steven Soderbergh, for the most part, is really good at um, dealing with the limitations of amateurs, of amateur actors. Um, and I love what he did with with her in this. I mean, in Bubble, um, they're all. I, I don't even know if those are if you can even say they're actors. In particular, I mean, he does a fantastic job with the guy who plays Kyle, who's a who's a who's a guy named Dustin James Ashley. I think that's his name, uh-huh. Ashley. Dustin James Ashley. Um, who you know he just he's really good with those limitations. Now the mm-hmm. the girlfriend experiment. Didn't really work for me at all because, for me, Sasha Gray, um, she's just so vacant. But I think that's kind of part of the point. But it just it still didn't work for me at all. But but I admire the what uh, Soderbergh is trying to do and how well he does it. And I think that he does a great job with Gina Carano here. Uh, I the counterpart for me was uh, the woman in Bubble, uh, and and you're right, Dingus. They're not actors. I think the difference with Sasha Gray and Gina Carano is that they are entertainers in a way, but but acting isn't really their gig. Whereas if you watch Bubble, there's a woman in that who Soderbergh was obviously in love with her face. She had this incredibly expressive face. Uh, her name is Debbie Dobriner. Uh, and I think the movie is all about just how striking she is as a person. And it's not trying to force her to, to push anything too hard. It's not trying to make her a Superman. Uh, there's there's a, a great sort of turn at the end of the movie that, that I imagine was challenging for her. But she, she definitely rises to the occasion. I, I think in her own amateurish but really honest way, Debbie DeBriner is perfect in Bubble. Um, and that, for me, is kind of the standard. And I didn't think Gina Carano, like, she certainly carried the fight scenes. But the non-fighting scenes I just kind of f- fell flat for me. Um, but there weren't any. <laughs> well, sure there were. There were, there were conversations with her father. Uh, you know, here, no, here's true. a classic example. The scene where she's in the backseat of the cop car, and she's got to convince these cops who she knows are about to be attacked, she's got to convince them, look, here's the deal. I was a Marine too. Call up and check on me. And then they dismiss her and say, sit in the seat, Wonder Woman. We got this under control. And she does. Uh, I just kind of felt like that, that that seems a classic example. And I, I blame partly the script. Uh, and I also think that I, I just think that Gina Carano needed more to work with or more of a sense of the stakes in some of those scenes. Uh, the scene where she's talking to uh, Ewan McGregor, the, you know, where he's convincing her to do one last job. I mean, there, there, were, there were fair bits of dialogue where she had to carry stuff. Uh, and I found those disappointing compared to someone like Debbie DeBriner in, in Bubble. Um, so just th- those parts. Uh, go, go ahead. Go ahead. I liked um, her. She she has this desultory way of speaking in the movie that I just came to associate with the rigors of her job. And when, so when she does something that seemed weird, like telling Michael Angerano's character, like who she works for instantly, like right. I thought that was 
the way the fact that she was kind of saying in this kind of this dead voice seemed interesting to me. Like the less she brought to it, the more professional she seemed as an assassin or martial arts, a martial artist who knows. I don't fucking know what her job was. Change <laughs> about that, but um, I don't know. It's like it, it wasn't a good script. But it it tricked me a few times, mm-hmm. and it seemed to play well. Like I got the sense. It was meant to be sort of light and fizzy, and um, I wish I'd seen Bubble, basically. Uh, well, Bubble basically it is not um, Bubble's kind of an experiment, but in a, a, a pretty amazing one, right? Uh, it is. I mean, it's not like they weren't delivering lines that often. I mean, a lot of it was improv amongst people who don't really do improv. I think you could almost put Bubble in the mumble core. Uh, genre uh, in a way, but uh, Bubble's a bit different. This is obviously trying to be, uh, you know, that has the luxury of being just about real people going about their jobs. You know, this is obviously a, a more stylized action movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Maybe this should have been more like that. Well, you know, ding, uh, Dingus, uh, Kelly Wan, you mentioned that it was kind of like light. I wished, if anything, that it had been lighter. Like, I feel like... To have you handed the, you on the money? Well, at the, no, at the end of the movie, they, they do reveals, and you find out that this is really kind of a breakup story. And I, I kind of wish that if they had been pushing that angle, like if, if you wanted to sell this as kind of a metaphor for a woman going through a messy breakup, I, I would have liked that. That could have been cool. But I, I feel like instead, it was just playing like a conventional drama. It gets up, and it has the obligatory twist at the end, and then it's done. I almost wish that they had just given us the bare minimum of filler to move between the fight scenes rather than playing out this, this frankly, pedestrian script, I, I thought. But my big reveal, I'll just uh, rattle off about this for one brief second. My big reveal in Haywire is that I don't think Lim Dobbs really knows what he's doing. Not that he doesn't know what he's doing, but The Limey, I feel strongly, is one of Steven Soderbergh's best movies. And Soderbergh famously differed with Lim Dobbs, who wrote The Limey, about how to edit the movie, about the final product. Uh, They they had the script, they shot it. It was a sort of a revenge drama. It it was a straight-up revenge drama with Terrence Stamp. And in the editing, Steven Soderbergh arrived on this idea, and it's so clear from watching it and watching the way it's assembled, that The Limey is a movie about memory and regret. The overall structure of The Limey is Terrence Stamp flying home from America, remembering what he has just done to try to avenge his daughter's death. Uh, and none of that is in Lim Dobbs' script, and he's kind of famously differed with Steven Soderbergh over that fact. Uh, so I kind of thought that somewhere in this difference between the two men, this brilliant movie emerged. But watching Haywire and seeing what looks like a pretty straight-up adaptation, I mean, it look, obviously Soderbergh isn't playing with the same ideas that he was in The Limey. I just feel like, you know what, maybe Soderbergh's right, and Lim Dobbs just does these kind of generic revenge drama scripts. Because there, there wasn't that much in Haywire, and if anything, I wished that they'd either played up this idea of it's a breakup drama, or just dropped all that stuff and let us see her fight with a bare minimum of connective tissue between them. Um, See, I felt they did the latter, but maybe I, I can't be trusted on this because I was kind of out of it. Well, they were trying to do a big reversal about she actually has been taken advantage of, yeah. lied to by the organization, and this is all because Ewan McGregor is kind of possessive and jealous of her, and she's leaving him and his business. Uh, like they did, you know, they played it like a mystery with a big reveal at the end. But I didn't get the sense Soderbergh gave a shit about that. 
I agree. It's just humoring <laughs> Limda. All right, here's your thing. I agree. But in Limey, Peter Fonda has that thing too, where he's all memory and regret. So I kind of, I kind of agree with you that they could have, like, none of her villain, none of her opponents in the movie are a good match for her. So on that, on that level, it's a little boring and a bit of a disappointment. I think. I think it's fun when the heroines got her back to the wall more, and she never seemed like she did. Well, and there were a lot of times where I didn't understand why she was doing what she was doing, and I, you know, I never got this this sense of oh, isn't she clever? Oh, that's what she's trying to do. Uh, you know, like for instance, when she chases the guy down in Barcelona, that was a great sequence, but in the end, it's only because quote she doesn't like loose ends. Yeah, I was like, huh? What? That's but then that's she's what that's her, comes up with. But that's she's saying that to the guy she's about to sleep with. So maybe that's a little. Uh, she's doing some double entendre there. <laughs> okay, you might be right. <laughs> Everything sounds like double entendre to me, Tom. <laughs> Dingus, get in here. What did you think of the script? And and how would you compare it to the Limey? You know, you know the Limey, don't you, Dingus? I've never met him, but I could see him if you could see him. Um, no, I I really like the Limey too, but I I don't think that Steven Soderbergh is the kind of guy who's going to work with uh, somebody who can't figure that out again if he doesn't have to and he's working with lem dobbs again here so i think that's telling and i think that while what you might be saying might be true i could much more see a scenario where steven soderbergh says hey write me this revenge thing i i want to do this movie because because uh i i just read a story that that uh soderbergh had just been fired off of moneyball which i didn't even hear about until just looking at this movie and then he decides then he sees this mma fight and he sees this woman he decides you know why why is angelina jolie the only woman who can fight well let me write a movie about that lem why don't you write this movie and i'll cut it up and we'll do the same thing we did with the the limey you know because otherwise why would he work with this guy again if if he's a hack or if he if he can't figure out how to do it so i I just don't buy that i'm not saying he's a hack dingus i mean Say what you will about the director of Ocean's 13. I am not leveling that accusation at him. (laughs) What I'm saying is that he famously wrestled with the limey to create the end product, contrary to the script he was given. I don't have any sense that he's wrestling with that material in, uh, in Haywire. And I kind of can can see a different, and I can kind of use that as a, as a lens through which to look at what might have happened with the limey. I, oh, I you know, because because you know uh, they obviously have a working relationship, but it was very contentious. And there's a famously bickering uh, uh, commentary track over the limey uh, DVD where they're right. arguing about huh. uh, about the script and and what and Lim Dobbs feels that Soderbergh violated the script. Soderbergh felt like Lim Dobbs' script was I don't know that he uses the word pedestrian, but I'll throw that out there. Um, I, I don't feel like that sort of creative inv- like Soderbergh had that creative investment here. You're right, Dingus, that all the press about this movie is Soderbergh saying, hey, I saw this Gina Carano chick. She can really fight. We should make a movie with her in it. I feel like that was his priority. That was kind of the, the bare minimum for the creative bar that he set, and he definitely met that. But I just don't feel that there was any of the creative wrestling that made the limey brilliant, so that what we're left with here is, I, I feel, a kind of a pedestrian script. Um and I just I, I didn't need any of that. I didn't really need the reveal. I didn't care about the you know why is she 
planning a tracker on his cell phone in, in Dublin? Uh, why is why, for instance, uh, does she freak out when she sees a roadblock and takes a street racing car down a snowy road to evade two four wheel drive police trucks like that sort of thing? You know, that's the sort of I think of, for instance, the uh, the chase scene in the in the born supremacy identity. Uh, no, yeah, identity is the first one where he's in a crappy little taxi. Oh no, it's it's a uh, it's, it's supremacy. supremacy, right? It's he's in the crappy little taxi, and he uses the strengths of that little vehicle in a really smart way. Like you watch that, and you're like, why is he taking a crappy car? Oh, you know, there's this great sense of oh, that's what he's doing. And I didn't, you know, when she takes that street racer down the snowy road, I was like, oh, we're gonna have a cool rally racing thing. She and she's gonna the use car. She what? She didn't get to pick the car. Right, but when she's running from, like, I, I get the sense that when she's running, it, that action sequence, you know, what are the elements of an action sequence? And shouldn't they have us think, oh, the, the character's really smart. She knows what she's doing. That's a good idea. She's going to outsmart them. Um, I just didn't get that sense here. You know, why would you that, take a street racer down that snowy road and ultimately get undone by a random deer? <laughs> like, I, And, I, you know, the, the funny thing is, though, I, lo- I liked that sequence. I just didn't feel like it was written well, and it certainly didn't tell me, hey, this character's really smart and knows what she's doing. Uh, she seemed kind of dumb on the uh, GPS, too. I thought that sequence is incredible. I, I loved, Like I said, I liked the sequence, but it was, as it was written, I did, it didn't really tell me anything about how she's smart. I loved the way it was shot, uh, and I loved the arrival of the deer. That was one of my favorite touches in the, the movie, is that, that deer showing up. Um, and I don't understand your quibble because the, the, that sequence reveals that she's a freaking great driver, and that and the, and that's just part of the relationship that she has with this kid Scott. And I mean, I love that that whole she's driving backwards through the snow in this rally car, and that's exactly the sequence that. Well, it's not a rally car; it's a street racer. That was not no, alert. Definitely not a rally car. That's why I was thinking, Dingus, when she goes in the snowy road. I was like, "Oh, we're going to get like she's going to do it like a rally driving sequence," and, and she doesn't. You know, if, if she really like, if it's like I compare it, my quibble, Dingus, is that I compare it to the Bourne movie, where oh, he okay. takes that car and he uses the strengths of that car, and we not only get a kick-ass action sequence, and, and, and make no mistake, I liked that sequence. I, I thought it was a kick-ass action sequence. But whereas Bourne Identity showed me how smart he was to take that car, here I didn't understand. Why the scene was written that way? Yeah, but she would, was her shot. options are far fewer. Yeah. I mean, she has stay one on street, load. Stay on the street with a little car. If you're she would have gotten away with it if it hadn't been for the deer. If Matt Damon had had to deal with deer in the tunnel, he'd been <laughs> fucked too. And I did love that touch. I love that a random deer shows up and wrecks the car. Deer, yeah. Uh, and I also love like my favorite sequences. I love the fight scenes, but even more than the fight scenes, there were two shots where you you realize just like Steven Soderbergh was fascinated with Debbie DeBriner's face in Bubble, just like you know he loved her face. There were there were two sequences specifically in Haywire where I know he really appreciated what Gina Carano can do. And he let the camera linger on her face in one of those moments was when she's driving in reverse and he's got the camera in the back seat and it's just a long shot of her turning around, driving backwards with this determined look on her face. She's a great action star in that regard. And the second sequence is in Barcelona when she's running down the alley and he's just got the camera in front of her. And he's just showing her running. You know, she's a she's a beautiful girl, and she does a, a great action hero face. Uh, and I know that Soderbergh appreciated that, so I enjoyed the sequences as they were shot. Uh-huh. For me, it's the moments on the roof where she pauses to figure out where, what to do next. Those were some yeah. of my favorite moments where where he really understands that he's got somebody who can think, and maybe she can't. 
speak all that well. She's not going to say uh, lines like Meryl Streep or Michael Fassbender, but uh, but she can move and she's an athlete and she can think and she's smart. I mean, you could tell she's smart and she's moving across those rooftops and she's not just running randomly and jumping randomly. Every now and then she stops, she looks, yep. she pauses, and I love those moments on the rooftops. And speaking of her face, she also gets punched in the face a lot, which I kind of like. Like, not that I want to see her get punched in the face, but like, usually in action movies, they kind of hold back from that. But in this, everyone was playing for keeps. Like, they wouldn't go soft on her, like Fassbender, and she just takes it and she has to use makeup to cover up the scars. I love that touch, too. This idea that, you, you know, that she's bruised and that that's what the makeup is for. Yeah. yeah. And I love just in a microcosm, those first five minutes. Just yeah. fascinating stuff. Great right? opening. Great opening for you don't know what's going on for uh, for for both Channing Tatum. Like I, I think Dingus will agree with me. That poor guy just gets no credit when he deserves it. He's great in that scene. Uh-huh. Uh, she's great too because you don't really know what she's doing yet. Um, but even more the way the fight erupts and how mm-hmm. brutal it is. And again, even more the kind of weird sociological implications of how the other people in the diner react. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. love that. I love that when you see a dude hitting a woman yeah you're gonna get in there and they see what she does and they're all wait what let's just watch (laughs) (laughs) this whole surging tide of people like the waitress is coming with a coffee pot but then she fades back i mean there's this great like ebb and flow in that scene it's so Uh wonderful Yep, and 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 for that reason too, I liked I, I liked all the fight scenes. I loved the little corridor fight. Like I, I was just like jumping in my seat when she hops off the wall. Just that little tiny move mm-hmm. to use the wall to knock herself into the guy. I love stuff like that. Oh, and just, yeah. And just seeing the fight coming with Michael Fassbender, knowing that there was something on the way, and seeing how how beautiful they both are, and how dressed up they are, and how nice the hotel is. I love the setup there, and that's kind of why I say, you know what? Just give me that stuff, and don't mess around with this silly like reveal and the connective tissue and the tracking device. And she's oh, pretending she's drunk. I didn't need any of that. Just set up these cool fight sequences and let them go. I see those things as as Hitchcockian misdirection to make you go, oh, fight's coming. No, not yet. A little, a little, a little foreplay. You're saying, yeah. Well, it's not <laughs> only that. This is just Cinemax crap. If you don't have that stuff, I loved all of. The, I, I mean, I really, I thought I loved this movie. I mean, I, I loved all of her, you know, running through and doing the GPS with his phone, and and uh, and him saying, you, "You're going to need more time to put yourself together, so I'll freshen up first. And and then all the stuff where she's running around that uh, Rustboro estate, the the prettiest. Uh, house in Ireland thing. I, I God, I loved all of that stuff, and it's so weird for me to. Um, I, I mean, I'm fascinated by it, by by what you're saying, Tom. But it's it's weird for me to hear you say you you didn't don't want any of that. You just want the fighting because I think that would, uh, for me, it would really diminish it. Well, Dingus, let me let me ask you where it started to really fall apart for me. Uh, can you guys defend the whole sequence at the end with her dad? Did any of that make sense for you? Did it feel loose or tacked on, or uh, how did how did that stuff work out for you guys? This is my least favorite part of the movie. Okay, um, but then it's followed up with some of my favorite parts of the movie, <laughs> and then it's it's a dead deal. And then I go, oh yeah, we can just pretend the night part wasn't in there. I guess the only thing I was thinking during that scene was, oh, is Bill Paxton in on it, too? Because who isn't in on it? Like, is she going to fight? Like, do I get a fight scene with Bill Paxton? 
<laughs> well, I think what the scene is supposed to be, it's supposed to show her relationship with her dad, and uh, I just didn't feel like either of them was really up to, to conveying that. Uh, it's where I also thought, well, you know what? Her plan's not very good because no. Channing Tatum <laughs> got shot. Uh, Ewan McGregor got away. She's none the wiser. You know, she put on all this, like, silly face makeup, and I, I didn't – all of that, like, that whole bit just kind of fell apart for me. And it should have been, I felt – a, a payoff, yeah. Like every bit is. I loved how the the fight with you and McGregor was shot like a love scene in the surf. Like I, I loved how clever that was. But that nighttime New Mexico scene, I just was like, what? what what's going on here? What am I- North by Northwest, the crop dusting scene's the best part. That's halfway in, and then at the end you get Mount Rushmore and uh, the train. Uh, it's like that. So you're saying Soderbergh is no Hitchcock? Well, <laughs> I forgot what I was saying. I think it's so. Did, I, it's I, yeah, did, how did, did how did that stuff work out? Because I thought that was supposed to be the emotional payoff, the connection between Mallory and her, and her father. Like, did did that work no for cared. you, Dingus? <laughs> well, I think unfortunately that's the most pat uh, of of the movie, the most pat part of the movie, because it it echoes uh, a movie I really like called Patriot Games, which you guys also always poo poo. Um, I like Patriot Games. I think I do too. We poo-poo your enthusiasm. Yeah, you poo-poo my enthusiasm. It's adorable. (laughs) It also does this thing, and I think Roger Ebert talked about it um, when A Few Good Men came out. And it's been many years since I read his review, but but he said something about A Few Good Men about that script where where okay, the uh, screenwriter has told us what's going to happen, and then that happens. You know, it, basically, you know, the Tom Cruise gets together and says, "This is what we're going to do in the scene," and then that's exactly what happens in the scene, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 we're going to set up Jessup, and he's going to fall for it. So th- that's what happens here. Gina Carano or uh, Mallory says to her dad, "You get the two of them to argue, and that'll work, and then I'll come in and take care of things." And that's exactly what happens. And that's never a good formula i think for a scene to tell to have a character say what's going to happen in the scene and then that happens in the scene well let, let me just intervene there dingus because i i kind of feel like that's another part where the script fell down is that it seemed to me like we were getting set up for a cool scene where bill paxton is playing them off against each other mm. and that we were going to get some kind of cat and mouse and she's listening in and uh and he's saying things for her benefit like i i was expecting a little more there well, Paxton and, did nothing. There was no reason for that. Yeah, and, and that's kind of why I was a little disappointed in that as well, is I, I felt like I was going. they said, we're going to do this, and then they didn't do this, on the contrary. So I felt like that was a, that was one reason I was a little disappointed in it as well. Um, so but yeah, it movie, sounds like none of us wants to defend the New Mexico scene, though. So. No. Yeah. And that's yeah, near yeah, the end of the movie. So if you were breaking up with the movie near the end of the movie, then you mostly like the movie. Well, that's not the end of the movie. The end of the movie mm-hmm. is on the beach, which is right. weird and beautiful. And that, that moment where she's running up behind him. Oh, God, I love that shot. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> so fantastic. Oh, that's good shit. And then Banderas' thing is kind of good. And the timing of the sun going down, where yeah. and then she's wandering, going back up the beach. I'm sitting and thinking, why is he walking on the beach? Why is this happening? But I don't care because it's beautiful. It's just a beautiful setup. And and like Tom said, and I didn't really think about this. Uh, it's it be kind of it kind of becomes this drama about breaking up, and that's what it is. And I really really liked that. That scene is so stylish and beautiful. But the New Mexico stuff, while thrilling because you know that she's she's succeeding and there's a couple of cool shots like the the blood on the hood of the car in the in the garage or the blood in her hands um it's not very it's not very 
gratifying because it's all telegraphed. It's also weird because you see that's the one of the few ones where it's like a lot of stuff happens off screen. Yeah, it's like that Batman Begins fight in the warehouse where it's like horror movie for the. Uh, <laughs> Very good, Kelly Wand. Well, I, I'm thinking, too, another thing that I thought we were going to get. Uh, now, does Bill Paxton know what she does, or does he not? Because I forget what she says earlier in the movie. Is she open with her father about her job or not? Do we know? I think he understands that she's a Marine, but I don't think she under- he understands that okay. that's what she does for a living. Because right. when he watches what she's doing to that guy in the bathroom, there's there's clearly a sense of... Uh, Exactly. Why did she enlist him? Well, no, that's that. How, by the way, so that's another thing, Kelly Wan. You brought up Hannah, so I'm going to bring up another uh, example from Hannah. In Hannah, there's a great scene where Sophie, who's Hannah's little companion throughout the movie, sees Hannah in action and reacts like, "What the?" And and there's this sort of sense like, "You've been hiding this from me." There's a sense of like betrayal and surprise and horror. Uh, And I thought we were going to get something like that with uh, with Bill Paxton and Gina Carano when he sees his daughter in action. And I think that's what Steven Soderbergh was leaning towards in the scene where he sees her fighting in the bathroom but it seemed like it was so poorly lit like like if if that was there it was a it was way too fleeting uh like they had a they had an opportunity to i i think really explore like that sort of father-daughter relationship and it just got lost in the the shuffle of that that whole that's slim dobbs's fault I, you know, I seriously blame most of it because the things that I love, like the shot of her running up behind Ewan McGregor and the way that the beach uh, scene was shot. And, the, you know, I, I think... Who wrote Hannah? Uh, Hannah was a first-time screenwriter. Uh, Joe Wright, I think, shares a screenwriting credit, the director. Um, but it was a first-time screenwriter whose name I am feel bad that I can't remember right now. But I, I love basically what it comes down to is I love what Steven Soderbergh did with I thought very limited material, and that limited material is Lim Dobbs script and to a lesser extent uh, Gina Carano's non-action sequences. Um, David Farr and Seth Lockhead, Joe Wright didn't write it. Ah, right, right, right. Yes, uh, one of them though has screenwriter experience, but I think it was Seth Lockhead. He's a first-time screenwriter, and uh, yeah. So take their dialogue. To put it together, fire Lem Dobbs, get Gina Carano and well, Soderbergh, and make the perfect. Well, and to be fair, though, by the way, and I, and this is part of on our top ten list. That's part of why I loved Hannah. Uh, action movies, the bar is so low these days, and Haywire clearly, for me, cleared that bar. Uh, I just think there was a lot of potential here that I that I found a little disappointing, and I I, I seriously was so taken by Gina Carano. I mean, I yeah. I just thought she was great, and it's okay that she can't act. I just wish that she could a little better. And she's it's fine. Script. She can act. She act. She acted convincingly as that role. I thought. If you and you saw her as dumb, okay, she's playing the part of a dumb martial artist who she's not so good dumb. At martial arts. She's I, not supposed to be dumb. To she's a super. Off. She's super smart, and I think she's great in this. I'm, I'm trying to make Tom chance. admit she's a good actress. I never said she, I, I never said she was dumb. I just said the script never had that moment like, oh, that's what she's doing, or ooh, isn't she clever? She's not that, but she's so good at martial arts. That's her blind spot. Like she's such a badass. She's all, oh yeah, I forgot to like. <laughs> 
give a shit about no him. no she when she goes in that shop and she goes what uh, and then she cuts open her backpack and finds a little thing or that moment where she drops the phone Gosh. in that car in that auto in that auto bay i love uh, that kind uh, of stuff should have known before then I can uh, tell that. are you kidding uh, oh, i love here's how dumb she is here's how dumb she is backpack around no, i can settle this right now here's how d- dumb she is she is so dumb that when Channing Tatum is going to make a phone call, she thinks he's going to smoke a cigarette. <laughs> you guys know what I'm talking about? Because I actually loved that moment. where they smoking this, in here. Right. They have this antagonistic thing where she's being all tough and guarded, and he's trying to be charming and, and superior and the dude. Like, I love that interplay, even though it's kind of cliched. But then when he reaches in for his pocket to reach for his phone, she goes, there's no smoking in here. And he's like, I was just kidding myself. I loved that touch. Like, I love little touches like that. Uh, I liked it when Michael Douglas went, just keep doing what you're doing, like in kind of an absent <laughs> corporate boss way. Like, yeah. yeah, you seem to have things under... I like Can that. I, I just want to say that uh, I'm afraid I'm all in for 21 Jump Street. Fuck yeah! Oh, yeah, there, has there been any question about that, Dingus? I didn't know if I was going to get criticized for that, but... I, no, I, I thought I was the one that had to convince you guys. I so I mean, I, I love Jonah Hill, and I'm officially on board with Channing Tatum. I have been for a while, and I love the jokes in the trailer. I like what they're doing. Yeah, they're, they're Brady bunching it. Yeah, exactly. And as, it looks long, like as long as, even if, this, I, I presume the trailer shows us the best stuff, and I guess I'm okay with that, but as long as it's got enough sort of connective tissue in the movie, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, so let, The broken foot it makes me crazy. <laughs> no, we are all. You know, I think it's oddly enough. Yeah, where if if a year ago you had told this podcast we would all be on board with the Twenty One Jump Street remake, right. we would have told you you were crazy. <laughs> I'm wrong a lot. Like, uh, let's let's talk about the other cast members. So uh, uh, we have we have a lot of folks. Uh, see, and here's another thing that I give Soderbergh credit for. Even if Gina Carano is not that great. I probably put her with good people, and it's not as noticeable. Like, I mean, that's definitely... That should make it more noticeable, actually. Well, I, I think if you were to put her with nondescript people or people who weren't good or fascinating to watch, at least, uh, I think it would have been more noticeable. Um, so I, 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 I liked pretty much every, all the peripheral folks. I love Antonio Banderas looking all scruffy. Michael Douglas, as you mentioned. Kelly Wan, the sort of disinterested uh, bureaucrat. Uh, Ewan McGregor's haircut, all that stuff worked for me. Um, also, and I bet Michael Fassbender, just from what I've read about him, I bet he's a very generous actor, and I bet he helped her as much as he could. And I think that plays in their scenes. And Dingus, I'm sure you'll be with me 100% on this. Just imagine Fassbender working with another non-actor in Fish Tank. How generous uh, he is in that. Ah, well done. Yeah, well done, Tom. So. But I didn't know him then as well, and so. But now when I see him show up, and it there is that sort of Vivian Lee kind of thing where you're going to kill him off, really. <laughs> um, well, I really like that element, and that I love the way they work in the scenes together. And I and I'm guessing, and I haven't read anything about this, but I'm just guessing that he helped. Huh. Yes. Oh, you mean in terms of. Uh in terms of helping her with the whole acting thing you're saying yeah just just helping her you know saying this is what we're going to do in the fights you know you can let's let's do this let's do that and in and, and and just you know how an actor can be 
um, giving. You, you know, so some actors are just going to do their lines and then go off to their trailer and good luck to you. But I just have a feeling that Michael Fassbender is the kind of guy who is going to stick around and help. And I imagine a Steven Soderbergh set is the kind of set that encourages that. Yeah. Kelly Wan, if you had been cast opposite Jenna Carano, would you have helped? If I was the Michael Fassbender, I would have tried to strangle her with my dick. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one eighty degrees, and I'm calling between. She can shave. I don't know, Jack. Can a dick joke be a softball? Ah, uh, <laughs> my cat. Wait, what? All <laughs> what? That's a tell one. That's horrible. Sorry about that. He's a gifted actor, and every time he kept saying things like Jim, he tapped out when he was on that bed. I love that. Uh, all right, so we have a loved it, a liked it, and a didn't like it so much. So I think that covers a nice uh, spread for Haywire. Real quick, uh, non-spoiler uh, terms, what did you guys think of the title, Haywire? Nobody ever says it in the movie, do they? So you don't have to drink if you're watching it the movie. It should have been well, called the, the Halo Effect if you want the uh, the title to show up later. If you're in AA. Uh, I thought it was a soft R, too. I, mean, I was surprised when Dingus said it was R, actually. Uh, I think... Yeah, I think there was a little blood and some heavy punching to the face. That gets you an R. I'm Could have been more. Punch to the face gets you an R? What kind of mm. sick police state do we live in? Kelly One, you don't want kids mimicking that on I'm the playground. What no. are you talking about? That's where I learned how to do that correctly. <laughs> I learned a lot more from Gina Carano. Four. Dingus, what is this week's... Uh, by the way, have you guys read Desert Assault by Matt Cain? Have I? <laughs> I have a signed copy. Dingus, what is this week's 3 by 3 This is your top favorite three bathtub scenes. Mm. Semperfy. That's what he writes in it. Watch your six. Oh. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. I guess my eyes have been awake since you were born. <laughs> or no, my eyes have been open. I screwed that line up. Oh, God. So, I like oh God. Can I get Michael Fassbender over here to help me with this? See, you're worse than her. <laughs> you make fun of her. You're the Mr. Durant play. Right? Fair yeah. point. You got me. Uh, all right. So, Dingus, favorite bathtub scenes. Dingus, I have a question for you before we start. And I'm asking this on behalf of Kelly Wand, because I think he needs to know this before we start. Dingus, is a jacuzzi a bathtub? No, it's a jacuzzi. Thank you. I just want to get that out of the way, because I'm worried where Kelly Wand is going with this. What? Who makes those two things? No fried chicken. That's the most, you know, I know I'm a dumbass, but that's insulting. How dare you? (laughs) All right, I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, bidet, though, is a bathtub, by the way. Just the faucets on the bottom. Uh, all right, so I get to go first because I'm introducing next week's 3x3, three three, and I, I predict that Dingus and I pretty much have the same list. It's oh, always fun to listen to. Yeah. So, Kelly Wan, you're going to be providing the variety tonight. Oh, I hope you're up to it. Exciting for the listener. All right, my number three choice, uh, I'll give you guys a line from this. Are you ready? Huh. And I'm guessing this is the same line Dingus will have for having this scene in his 3x3. Three three. The line I chose, is... I chose a different line. There's no... Di- uh, no, I think you chose, I'm thinking. <laughs> nope. What different uh, line would you have chosen? Um, I chose, uh, take a deep one. Oh, okay. What What position is this on your list? This is number three. Okay, well, this is my number three, too. Dingus and I have both chosen a movie we're quite fond of uh, called Constantine. 
and it has a bathtub sequence where uh, Rachel Weiss uh, has asked to be seen, uh, bas- to be shown basically uh, the visions that she used to have as a child. The premise of Constantine is that kind of hell is all around us, but some people are sensitive to it. Some people can actually sense it. Rachel Weiss is a character who had that as a child. She has since lost it. She comes to John Constantine, who is a... I don't know, freelance, occultist, superhero, detective. I don't know what he is in that. He's a Uh, supernatural detective. Supernatural detective. That's much more concise. Uh, And she says to him, I want to be able to see again. And he's like, okay. And it involves a ritual where he basically has to hold her down in a bathtub. uh, And from that, she sees the other side. And I I love the sequence for a couple of reasons. one of which is uh, John Constantine. I, I think that one of the cool things about the movie Constantine is that it is a bona fide Keanu Reeves performance. The poor guy gets a lot of flack, rightfully so, for being kind of flat, but he's actually acting. There's a real performance in Constantine that I really enjoy watching. And one of the maybe two moments where he is kind of playful, there's a little levity, is right before this bathtub scene where she says, Do I need to take off the rest of my clothes? He doesn't answer. And she says, John, that's his first name. And he says, I'm thinking. (laughs) I I just love that playfulness between them. I love, too, how all the romance between them, she's kind of into him, but it's not reciprocated. They never kiss. There are a couple of teases where you think they're going to, but something else happens. Uh, And so I love that it doesn't go the easy route in their their relationship. But so in this bathtub scene, I also kind of like it's a really cool visual thing. Uh, The director... Francis Lawrence, yeah, uh, plays with kind of like bullet timey kind of stuff in slow motion. Uh, and at the end of the sequence, it, it it's so dramatic that it breaks the bathtub. You know, the bathtub shatters. And Rachel Weiss, like, she's a great actress, but she looks, in, the, in Constantine, she looks really sexy when she's like, when her hair and clothes are all wet uh, in that scene. Uh, I'd forgotten how sexy she looked. Um Hmm. So there's my number three is Constantine. Dingus, what made it your number three? She really does look good. I know. I just I so I rewatched it and I'd forgotten. Holy cats, like it's 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 real cheesecakey, like there's no nudity, but like you see her bra on her shirt and stuff and it's it's like stuck to her skin and This isn't about bathtubs. It's a little <laughs> There's a little, yeah, there's a little like nipple, almost nipple there. Best I mean, it's nipples. not, it's not nipple, but it's like there's some. Ah, man, it's, dingus, dingus, it's, it's PG thirteen. Just remember. Oh, that's a good point. What I love, what I love about this is that um, I always remember that scene as having a bunch of CG of yeah. uh, her yep. flashing into hell, yep. and there's none of it. It's yep. just a close up. Well, not just a close up. It's just shot in her face and her reaction to him and for for all we know she's drowning and she's struggling against drowning and then we find out that's not what was happening um or not just what was happening and i love watching her face and figuring out what's going on in her eyes um and that this all takes place in a bathtub and the it's just Francis Lawrence just shoots that that water spilling out of that broken bathtub so beautifully. To say nothing of that moment, you're right, of the bullet time with that droplet of water coming down that splashes. I got that movie. That, That... I love that movie. Well, Dingus, you're so right, too, because I remembered that, oh, yeah, she flashes, she's in hell, and she looks around, and we see all the demons and stuff. So when I rewatched it, 
I realized, no, we see that before with him, but because Rachel Weiss is so good, she conveys to us, I mean, we know what she's seen and she's reacting appropriately, that when you think back to the movie, you sort of mentally fill in this, this sequence where she is just completely flabbergasted witnessing hell for the first time. We don't see any of that. It's all on her face, and I love that. And I'd also forgotten, Dingus, how playful it is where she gets in the water, she's trusting him, and he says, you know, go all the way in. And she goes all the way in, and the music builds like something's going to happen, and then it stops. And you're, you're looking at her face under the water, and her hands are sticking out. She's kind of like drumming her fingers, like, okay, now what? And it's the moment where she's not out of breath yet. <laughs> she's kind of like, well, what's going to happen now? And it's another really uncharacteristically playful moment in the movie. Uh, at that, so Yeah, I love that, too, that moment where she just taps the tub. Yep. Or t- okay, <laughs> something going to happen, or... Yeah, Kelly Wand, are you on board with me and Dingus as uh, Constantine fans? I don't remember that part or the wet nipple. <laughs> I guess not. I'm not one to forget those, but I don't think it's. I don't. Maybe you can see, but I just remember. No, it's just, you can't. But okay. Uh, but it's but, so sexy. It's real. I mean, Francis Lawrence knows how to make things look sexy, and uh, yeah, it's it's clearly shot. She usually looks yeah. sexy, doesn't she? I guess so. Yeah, you know she's a she's a she's a uh, I don't want to say funny looking in a mean way, but she's not a traditional like just in a general way. <laughs> well, I think of what is it Brothers Bloom? Uh, she can just be like so goofy and charming in a Zoe Ted uh, uh, Gummit. What's the new girl chick's name? Uh, Deschanel. She can be yeah in a Zoe Deschanel way. Oh. She's like Zoe Deschanel with serious acting chops. Uh, so when I see her, it's like wow, totally hot. It's a it's a little uh, I'm not used to, to seeing her in that light. Um, Are you used to seeing Zoe Saldana in that light? Not sure who that is because I'm not into Avatar movies. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> so Avatar. I think I'm the, only, like I'm the only one on this podcast who's seen Columbiana, so I, I think I've got the most Zoe Saldana cred. So suck it. She's in that. Isn't she? Isn't that her? Yeah. But that was The Losers. Isn't the same thing? What do you want about? No, Colombiana is about uh, the little Brazilian girl who grows up to be a super assassin. That's not her, though? Of course it's her, isn't it? Oh. Yes, and she's in The Losers, too. Come on. Oh. Oh, there you go. We're both right, Kelly Wand. High five. She has a lot of range compared to Gina Carano. (laughs) Uh, Kelly Wand, what is your number three favorite non-jacuzzi scene involving a bathtub? Uh, Mine are all kind of gross. Uh-oh. All right. (laughs) Do you need me to leave the room? Usually. But for this stay, um, <laughs> this is my favorite. Uh, I want to move out of America movie. Um, do you guys see Gummo? What's that guy's name or girl's name? Megan Gummo. What am I thinking of? Uh, it's uh, Harmony Corinne, who's a dude. Not a oh yeah, that's who I meant. I, I've never that seen guy, not Harmony seen, dude. I think you're the only one on this podcast who's seen Gummo. You didn't see Gummo. I did not. That is Harmony Corinne, isn't it? I'm not, yeah. It's not Larry Clark. Yeah, it's Harmony Corinne. So, no, I've not seen Gummo. Uh, I don't want to spoil it. There's a scene where that kid on the poster for Gummo with the hair, the weird hair, mm-hmm. is in a bathtub, and his mom is washing his hair, and he's eating spaghetti in the bath. And uh, I think he eats a popsicle, too. There's something else I'm forgetting. Some kind of ice cream. It's kind of like the jacuzzi scene, but spaghetti and shampoo are both on his face at the same time, like spaghetti sauce. <sighs> Why Kelly didn't you Gummo? What makes that scene memorable to you? <laughs> How is that different from a, any day in the tub for you? 
What's the first one I thought of? Oh, well, yeah. It's just, um... It just takes me back. Let's put it All right. Way. So Kelly Wan's number three pick is the spaghetti and the ice cream and the popsicle and the fried chicken and gummo. And shampoo. And shampoo. All right. Uh, Dingus' number three is Constantine. So guess what? We're back to me. Oh, God. I mean, yeah. Now, this is also one I'm guessing Dingus chose. I don't know if Dingus would have used this line. Uh, okay, so here's a line from my number two choice. Uh, you know, I think I have got it right. I'm looking at my wife. Dingus, did you use that line, or did you use a different line? Uh, I didn't use either line. I I would have used, um, uh, you're just a little boy in my bathtub. But, right. But but that's from a different scene. Um, so, but I chose, I didn't, I didn't include this. Well, then your, your list is obviously broken. I look forward to hearing what two things you have that are better than the scene, the bathtub scene in birth. Uh, now there are actually two bathtub scenes in birth. Um, the, I think more notorious one is the one where Cameron Bright and Nicole Kidman are both obviously nude sitting in a tub together. Uh, it's a fairly short scene. Uh, the sort of dramatic role of it is, uh, like, like, like part of what that scene is supposed to do is there's a third character who knows they're in there together and how he reacts. But for me, the more notable bathtub scene in Birth uh, is the one at the very ending. Um, and without spoiling Birth, uh, there's a scene where Cameron Bright, a little boy, who claims to be the reincarnation of her former husband who, who died 10 years ago, uh, he's in a bathtub and she is outside of the bathtub and the nature of their, he changes the nature of their relationship. Something that happens at the very end of the movie. Um, and during this scene, he's been out in the park all day, and he's dirty, and he's got dirt all over his face. And it is a visual counterpart to the very first scene of the movie where we see a little pristine infant lifted out of a pool. Uh, and now here he is in, in a bathtub, and he's all dirty uh, ten years later. Uh, like I, I like the, the obvious contrast that, that uh, Jonathan Glazer has in mind there. Uh, but I just love the... Uh, the sort of shift that happens uh, in this scene. Uh, and there's even, and it's going to sound corny if I describe it, but there's a, a little visual metaphor where he slips underwater and he stays there and he, she has to lift him out and shake him and react to something that he said. Um, but that would be my number two scene, is uh, the final bathtub scene in uh, Birth. Wait, Kelly Nicole, Nicole yeah. Kidman's nude in a movie? Uh, she's been nude in plenty of movies. I know, that's my about. joke, Tom. Ah, I get it now. <laughs> you just now embarrassed yourself. <laughs> hate you. Kelly no, I didn't see it. You but I did see that movie, 8 months, 13 days, 6 million grams, something, something. Mary uh, Birth is the director of Sexy Beast. You liked that, didn't you? That's true. Really? Yeah. All right, I'll check it out. Yeah. Now convinced me. Things I can't believe you didn't pick this. So this is what I immediately thought of when you said bathtub scenes, and I rewatched it uh, yesterday, specifically for the first bathtub scene, and forgot kind of how short and uh, uh, perfunctory it was. Uh, but it's really the second one that I, I like a bath. Uh, so I actually conflated the two scenes until I rewatched it again too this week. Um, I had chosen this for. I think your topic of best nudity thing, because I, I just I was so shocked by the whole the way he undresses in that scene and how awkward and um, scary that was for me watching him have to do that as a little kid and then him getting in the tub and and then I I thought the scene I thought the scene was longer than that 
Um, and then you jump to the, to that other scene where she does, where she pulls him out of the water. And, and that, that, that latter scene has such a great arc to it. I really love that scene, but yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it didn't quite make it, but I really, I love, I love the way that works and I love where he slips underwater and she pulls him up and, and she shakes him and she, are you a li- Are you a liar? I mean, I love that so much. Uh, and I maintain, uh, some people will tell you that birth is ambiguous about what the final message is or what, what the events are. I maintain that it is not ambiguous at all. Uh, good Lord, I've seen that movie a few times, and if you disagree with my interpretation of it, I'm here to tell you you're wrong. <laughs> I agree because I've seen it just as many times, and I come away with the same feeling. Yeah. And at this time, I actually... Yeah, what, Kelly? Want to go ahead. Nothing. Nothing. Go no. on. <laughs> uh, and this time, I, I even have... Like, every time I watch it, I just accumulate little more and more bits of evidence to support my interpretation, uh, and I've got a few new, new, uh, new salvos I can fire. Having just oh, good. seen it, so. Uh, all right, so mm, only in France, Kelly Wand. Oh. Uh, all right, so my number two is uh, the final, the second bathtub scene in Birth, Kelly Wand. What do you have that is better, a better bathtub scene than Gummo? Uh, my number two is uh, kind of a boring one. All right, because Gummo was not. Gummo was fascinating. Well, it's more fascinating than this. Is spaghetti in the tub in your number two? No. Well, kind of. In a sense, because Uh-oh. it's from The Shining. It's oh. the movie. Yeah, I know, lame. But it was uh, it made an impression on me at the time because it made me realize that the bathtub can be a haunted part of the house. Because you go, oh, it's, if you go to a haunted mansion at Disneyland, like there's no bathroom, so, you so you're, you're it's, it's safe area. So the scene where Jack Nicholson goes in and makes out with the scary corpse lady, that taught you as a child that you are not safe from ghosts when you're in a bathtub. Well, also, the, uh, it's not a glamorous place to die, even though you'd think it would be. You think, oh, it's less mess, but then it's like, uh, they're actually going to have to clean up more if you do it there. Hmm. <laughs> As opposed to just walking off a cliff into the ocean. Now, I am right, by the way. That is where he's making out with the, the lady, and he sees in the mirror she's a corpse. Is that the scene you mean? That's not... Well, no. It's the part oh. where, after that, he flashes back from her uh, demon kisses to where she's an old woman and still in the bathtub. Because she steps out of it, and then later on he's like, oh, wait, she's a ghost, and she's actually old. And I'm... I'm making out with mold. So I could relate to that when I saw it when I was 10. But before she had been in the... I, I guess I'd forgotten. I knew this is a scene... I feel like Billy Bob Thornton right now on that Canadian radio thing. <laughs> Talking about horror. Tell us what magazines you read as a child. Uh, horror, <laughs> eerie, creepy. Now, Kelly Owen, we're not going to talk about your Oscar-nominated career as an actor. I promise I won't bring that up. You were instructed. I you were given special <laughs> instructions. Uh, Kelly, I just wasn't clear that there was a bathtub involved in The Shining. I remember him making out with a scary corpse woman, but I didn't remember specifically the bathtub. Story. That's the worst part of the of the whole hotel room. In fact, it's the worst part of the whole hotel. Like it's the one. It's the room you don't want to go in, and then of all the room, the bathtub. So it's like the bathtub's the corona. Wait, what's the center of the sun called? The, the uh, iris. The no. past blue ribbon. The core? <laughs> <laughs> the 
God, what a bunch of fucking idiots. Uh, Kelly, anyway. you would have known that if you had seen Training Day. Training Day will also teach you, don't let people take you into the bathtub. Oh. Oh, wait. What, how did you know that's not my number one? <gasps> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> fucking Tom. I mean, hooray for podcasting. All right, so Kelly Wan's number two, The Shining. Dingus, what bathtub scene is better than the bathtub scene in Constantine, but not as good as your number one choice? Uh, I don't have a quote because it's from a foreign movie, and I don't know that you guys would Racist. be able to tell me. Hmm. Although I know Tom has seen it. It was my... Uh, number two movie from last year it's a movie called a separation um uh, by uh directed by a guy named ashkar farati and there's uh if uh, if constantine was the the movie that made me start the idea for this list uh many many months ago um uh, a separation is the the movie that made me think okay let's go ahead and put it in uh, to the rotation. And so uh, the moment is where uh, Nader, who's played by Payman Maadi, I think. I think that's how you say his name. Um, he's giving his father a bath. Uh, and so this this is a, a little bit of a cheat because the bathtub is in the scene, but they can't use the bathtub because his father has to be in a wheelchair. And because... Um, Nader can't put his father in the tub, probably because he couldn't get him out of the tub if he had to, because his father has uh, Alzheimer's or dementia. I think it's Alzheimer's. And um, so it's it's a bathtub scene where Nader is sitting on the tub while he washes his father sitting in a wheelchair in the bathroom. And um, it's just such a touching scene for me. Uh, because you just see so much about this character and what he's going through at this moment in his life as he's taking care of his father and doing and dealing with so many other things. And he just breaks down as he's washing his father and bathing him without being able to put him in the bathtub. So uh, my number two is uh, separation. You know what, Dingus, that's a great choice, partly because, I mean, it's a great choice because it's a great moment in the movie, but it also, you just reminded me of a good runner-up that I'm going to go ahead and mention because I don't think anyone uh, has used this. They're one of my favorite moments from American Movie, that uh, documentary about Mark Borchardt, is when he's washing his Uncle Bill in the tub, and Borchardt is muttering about man's inhumanity to man. Do you guys know that scene? <laughs> I don't remember that. Yeah, God, it, it's, it's, like so t- it's, it's like such a microcosm of how much Mark Borchardt obviously loves his uncle, and just how off the rails Mark Borchardt is. But just what a genuine, caring, good person he is, even though he's a little crazy. Uh, it's right. just this beautiful bit of insight into him as a person. Uh, so st- seeing his uncle's naked body makes him think the word inhumanity. <laughs> I don't even remember why he's muttering about that. I mean, I think he, he's just he's holding forth before the, the camera, which is the case in most of the movie. Uh, uh, and I don't remember why he's going on about man's inhumanity to man. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, okay. So well, there are two men involved in what he's doing. I don't think they're inhumane to each other, though. Right. Uh, it's being very humane. <laughs> uh, that's the big reveal, by the way, about in American movie is uh, Uncle Bill's role in uh, Mark Portrait getting his movie made. I don't want to spoil it, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, fuck Gummo, man. This is way better. <laughs> we're on to my number one choice. Uh I'm not going to give you a line because I forgot to write it down, (laughs) so I don't have a line, but I'm guessing... Take that, Gina Carano. 
maybe, I don't know if Dingus had this. This is another Rachel Weiss bathtub scene. Uh, so it's kind of like when we did my favorite uh, uh, montages. Roy Scheider was in two of them. And in my favorite bathtub scenes, Rachel Weiss is in two of them. She's, uh, our, she's what? She's our Roy Scheider. She's my Roy Scheider of bathtubs, yes. Uh, and for my number one, my favorite bathtub scene would have to be in one of my favorite movies. Oh, I know. Uh, there's Well, of course, it's pretty easy That's a good, to tell. That's a great one. Dingus, so the fountain was not on your list, Dingus? It was uh, runner-up, yeah. Oh, good. Well, okay. Well, then we didn't overlap as much as I thought we would. Uh, there's a great moment in the fountain where uh, Hugh Jackman realizes that uh, that Rachel Weisz, is, uh, she's his wife, uh, that her brain tumor is progressing because she's losing sensitivity to heat and cold. Uh, and there have been signs for this before, but the first time that that is made explicit and that she knows he knows and that he knows, it's sort of a moment that's shared between them is when she's in a bath. Uh, and the whole arc of this scene um, is just fantastic for a couple of reasons. Uh, the way we play into the scene is a great cut from the future Hugh Jackman character running his hand along the bark of this tree that he's out in space with. And you know what? If you haven't seen The Fountain, none of this is going to make sense, so bear with me. Uh, he's running his hands along this smooth bark, and then it transitions to uh, Rachel Weiss's soapy skin, like all smooth in the water. Uh, and we then have the scene between the two of them. It starts out playful, uh, then this revelation comes up about her tumor progressing and then it it segues into a sex scene uh and it has a lot to say about this sort of hunger that goes with being in love with someone and the sexuality of it uh the way that clint mansell's music builds over the course of the scene is amazing uh they both look so good in this i mean whereas rachel weiss and constantine in that bathtub scene she's really sexy this bathtub scene is just in 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 the best sense of the word this bathtub scene is absolutely sensual uh and i i love it it's it, it it's a pivotal part of the fountain uh and it is the actors it is the music and it is the director at their level best in, in the movie so I, I love that sequence in the fountain doesn't he get mad at her scene or is that a different bathtub no he does because she's uh there's this moment because she hasn't been telling him that she's losing sensitivity to hot and cold and he only realizes that when she says would you heat up the sponge for me before he walks out of the room and he sees the steam coming off of the the bathtub and realizes the sponge is already hot so then she has to confess look i've been losing sensitivity and she says to him too she has this great little speech where she talks about how she's feeling different things and what it represents is how she is coming to accept death and that whole plot line is about his refusal to accept death and in a way it's them pulling apart she's accepting it he's refusing to accept it and the scene ends though with them having sex and, and coming together uh but yeah he's he's definitely angry at her i mean he's angry he's a, that's yeah so good in that movie and that that's just this point where his frustration and his anger comes out yeah doesn't she make some comment like You'll have women after me or something. Well, that's they, they're playing around, and again, there's so, the fountain is so dense. Uh, the the role of a ring uh, is crucial in all of the fountain's three plot lines, right. and in this plot line, he loses his ring while he's doing research at the hospital. And the scene opens with her saying, "Is she a redhead?" And he says, "Who are you talking about?" And she taps the fact that his ring is missing. Uh, she's right. joking around, and he says, oh, I left it at the hospital. And then she makes some joking remark about, well, soon he'll have plenty of time to, yeah. to see her. Uh, it's just it's so playful. and they're just, God, they're both so good. He doesn't like that. 
Yeah, well, it, it's you know, it it's, well, it's how they both are reacting differently yeah. to a very difficult situation. Right. Yeah. It is exactly what you're talking about too. It's like him resisting it and her. Yep. Like she does. That's why she says it. I think. Well, and the ring, uh, you know, the ring is uh, when he's the conquistador, he carries the ring with him. It's given to him by the queen. It represents kind of the treasure and the gold he's looking for. And then at the end, there's no where he has no physical possessions. He's out in space. The ring is a tattoo that he puts on his finger using the ink from the dying tree. Uh, you, you know, that that ring is such a, a crucial symbolic part of all three plot lines. Yeah, I'm the only person I know who thinks even the conquistador plot line is real <laughs> no you're not you're not i'm not you're with me on that i think they're all going on at the same time actually ah, i like you like it and tom i love the way you presented that yeah. that was really beautifully put uh, you know i uh, you know i don't mean to uh, you know make a pass at you here but <laughs> <laughs> well i'm looking forward to seeing what bathtub scene you think is better so hold that thought because first kelly wand what bathtub scene could possibly be better than Gummo and The Shining? I don't know. Uh, you haven't left yourself much wiggle room here. Get it? <laughs> uh, now I feel bad, because that one is kind of better than mine. But it's kind of similar. It's the one from... Uh, you remember the scene in Unfaithful, where they have kind of an awkward bath? Am I bringing up Unfaithful too often lately? No, Unfaithful's good. What, I don't remember the bath scene, though. Is it Diane Lane and Richard Gere? yeah. Or is he it gets into the all- bath with her, right? Right, and he can, and he, there's no dialogue that <laughs> she can. He can tell something. She's just not into it. And he's like, "What? Come on! They, they used to be such fun for us." Kelly Wand, have you been on that date? <laughs> yeah, usually every bath. Because <laughs> I only bathe with with someone else. I can't do it by myself because I have this uh, this psychological block. It's like some people don't eat meals alone. You can't right. eat alone. Right. Can be my grandpa. It has to be someone that. You know, <laughs> uh, so that's so, who I'm taught. That's who I definitely relate that scene with too. So it's one of those those great scenes between Richard Gere and Diane Lane. Yeah, but the fountain one's better than that actually. But I like that scene because it's it, it it I like it that it should be erotic because it's like two good looking nude actors, but it's kind of a bummer. So therefore, it's good. Isn't it kind of fun, Kelly Wand, to see hot people not getting laid? Yeah, it makes me feel better. <laughs> kind of cheers me up. And if, but in uh, the fountain, they're also dying, and although he's immortal, so in a way, I should be even more envious. If he's not only getting her; he's getting her three times, three different eras. What a dick! <laughs> but that's uh, what the ring is. It's the ring around the dick. And Kelly Wand, you have to talk about unfaithful. Quit talking about the fountain. Oh, choose the- uh, <laughs> Unfaithful's a bit of a spoiler for what happens in the movie, but... I wish that Unfaithful didn't have to become a silly murder thing. Yeah. Like, I, I, I love the first parts of it, and I think I've mentioned this before. I love the scene where he's working in the room, and she comes to the doorway to say something to him, and she's still not into him. And then when she walks out of the doorway, turns she reaches it, turns out the light. And he's like, hey, I'm in here. Like, I love that bit of character development in the in the writing. Uh so, but unfortunately, I, I wish Unfaith- is unfaithful. Adrian, what's his name? Yeah, Adrian, he's not right? good with endings because Jacob's yeah. Latin's kind of got a good middle, and then it's got a shitty ending too. And speaking of uh, endings with bathtubs, I, I, Kelly, one, do you think Dingus picked Fatal Attraction? Like Glenn Close, Close bursting out of the tub as or his number one. Her itch. Marilyn Monroe gets her toe stuck, which sounds terrifying to me because she gets her fingers. He gets his. The guy gets his finger stuck in a champagne bottle, and she gets her toe stuck in the faucet. It seems like the writer's kind of trying to work out something. 
as opposed to unfaithful. <laughs> and Gummo and The Shining and Flash Dance. Uh, all right, so uh, unfaithful, Kelly One, your favorite bathtub scene yeah, ever. Yeah, the fountain's better. Uh, you I, know, Kelly One, this is not a competition. We can yeah, all win. What? That's not what it's been shaping up to be on the forums, bro. Well, we I, we can all work together. What? That's not what Gina Carano teaches in her movies. <laughs> Kelly Wan, I am, I am now choking you out with my thighs. What do you think? Just of that? one. Mm. That's how you break stuff. That's now, Kelly Wand, I am reaching for the pillow and I'm reaching for a gun under the mattress. What do you think of that? Wait, can we change the order? <laughs> Tom, call Kenneth. Just call Kenneth. <laughs> Thing is, what bathtub scene could possibly better be better than both a Constantine and a Constantine? Can both be better than Constantine and a separation? All right, there's. This is another foreign movie, so I'm not going to bother giving you guys a quote. Um, this is a movie called After the Wedding, and uh, the bathtub scene kind of has something in common with the fountain, uh, as uh, Tom talks about it. Although the setup of the characters is a little bit different. Um, because the person with the... I don't know if I want to reveal to... I, I don't know. I think I love reveal. this movie, but I don't remember the bathtub scene, so you're going to have to reveal a little. All right, well, the, the character Jorgen, who's this really rich businessman uh, in Denmark, uh, is comes home to his enormous house and uh he the the scene unfolds where he's uh, reading to his little kids and he puts them to bed and then he goes into the bathroom and his wife is taking a bath and he just has this beautiful little scene where his wife's really stressed about Mm. their daughter's wedding and all the preparations for it and he's telling her it's going to be fine as long as you as long as we have uh food and wine everything's fine and then they're interrupted as they start to kiss he's sitting on the edge of the tub and she's in the in this big bubble bath this huge tub um he's in inter- they're interrupted by somebody calling his name and he goes out and it's his mom who's staying with oh, them right, and it's right. a bit senile and she can't get on the internet she's holding her laptop <laughs> i can't get on the internet the poker is in three minutes and he just you know adjusts it and, and then she's on the internet she goes off and he goes back in the room to talk to his wife and his wife's kind of complaining a little bit but playfully about the mother living there and she's stressed about the marriage and he starts to kiss on his wife's foot and then fully clothed he just flops into the tub and the subtext is a little similar to what tom was talking about with the fountain because he under he knows that um he's dying and nobody else in the family nobody else other than his doctor knows that he's dying and he's dealing with this as a person and dealing with this in keeping the day-to-day operations of his business and his family going forward and he flops into the tub and has this romantic moment with his wife after dealing with his senile mother at the same time and i just love that little touch of of him in his fully clothed and everything that he's dealing with flopping into the tub with his wife all right after the wedding kelly wand have you seen after the wedding i don't see movies with uh whatever article is after. it's a preposition oh, oh. <laughs> whatever the, okay <laughs> you don't Indefinite do prepositions. articles yeah <laughs> okay uh, all right let's do runners up i'm sure we have plenty i want to bring up uh I'll give you guys a little bit of dialogue. I don't think it's very intelligent to keep an electrical gadget on the edge of the bathtub. I tie it to the radiator. Well, it can't be very good for your eyes anyway. Adam's family values? 
<laughs> Close. It's the right actress. Uh, and and I, God, I just love Gwyneth Paltrow's makeup in Royal Tenenbaums. She's just so incredibly adorable in this gothic Edward Gorey way. Uh, but I love that sequence in the bathroom where Angelica Houston comes over to, to talk to her when she's locked up in the in the bathtub. And that's so that is such vintage Wes Anderson. That little beat that Angelica Houston takes before saying, "Well, it can't be very good for your eyes anyway." Uh, <laughs> so cute. Mm. Uh, so Royal Tenenbaums would be one of my runners up. Haven't what else do you guys it. got? You have two seen Royal Tenenbaums. Oh. Don't even please. I had a Rachel Weiss bathtub scene, but it was from one of the Mummy movies, and I was counting a mummy case as a bathtub. <laughs> Egyptian bathtubs. All right, well that works. Uh, other runners up. No one's going to mention the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's a bathtub in that. What about Lethal Weapon Two, where the uh, bathtub protects them from a nuclear blast? Like, uh, oh, you know what? You're right. Yeah, it does. It serves the role of the refrigerator. Yeah. And then the uh, toilet lands on the police car hood. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh that's funny, Kelly. Richard Donner. Uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good, the bad, and the ugly has the famous scene where Eli Wallach is in a bathtub. And a uh, evil cowboy with one arm comes in to shoot him, uh, and you think he's got the drop on him, but oh, what do you know? Eli Wallach has the gun in the tub with him, and he shoots from underneath the bubbles. You guys don't remember that scene? He's a, he's up against a two armed bandit. What? <laughs> Nobody remembers that scene because it's kind of famous. I I remember seeing in a movie some movie where a cowboy shoots someone. While he's in the bathtub, the guy in the bathtub shoots the other cowboy, and it was the good, the bad, and the ugly, Eli Wallach. Uh, and I, I, I watched the scene again, and it is stupid. There is no reason. It's one of those things where Sergio Leone just thought, oh, it's going to be cool to have a cowboy with a shoot. You know, you think the cowboy's going to get shot, but no, he's got a gun in the tub. There's no reason for him to have the stupid gun in the bathtub with him. Wait, cowboys had indoor plumbing? That's not what I learned from Deadwood. Uh, this It actually reminds me of another bathtub scene. There are a pair of bathtub scenes in Assassination of Jesse James where one of the bathtubs is outdoors, in fact. Do you remember that one, Kelly Wand? Uh, I didn't see that movie. Are you that serious? Movies with guys who betrayed Sandra Bullock. <laughs> what? I don't know in what that's title. a reference to. It sounds what? terrible. Sandra Bullock? Uh, there's a great bathtub scene where Casey Affleck thinks he's sneaking up on Jesse James and... Uh, and he says something like, you know, he plays Robert Ford, Jesse James is Brad Pitt, and he says something to him. He comes up behind Brad Pitt taking a bath, and he says, oh, I, I never thought I'd catch you without your gun. Uh, and Brad Pitt reaches over and grabs his towel, and underneath the towel is his gun. So That's, we go, get what's in your hand out of my face. Nah, it's too late for that, Kelly Wan, sorry. <laughs> so we go forward a few more scenes to Casey Affleck taking a bath, and he's got the gun on the table on a chair next to him. But what's great about the scene of Casey Affleck taking a bath, it's out on a farmhouse and the bath is outdoors. It opens with him flicking water to get a cow away that has wandered <laughs> over to watch him take a bath. Uh, hmm. I love that little touch. Been on that day. Also in that scene, Paul Schneider, who plays one of the uh, James gang, a character named Dick Little, is what? threatening him. And in the course of threatening him, observes that he has, quote, an awful big pecker for such a little squirrel, end quote. Hmm. So you see what's going on there. A character named Dick Little. Not played by Michael Fassbender, obviously. 
observing that he has does you know the size of his quote unquote right. junk as, as, as a, a unit yeah, piece you know, a better word piece piece Revolver. six shooter yeah Smithchester. <laughs> I can do this all night. So I don't want you go. Let's get uh, carbine. Uh, Blunderbuss. Oh, that's a good one. Fuck. Hate Tom. All right, so that's a runner-up for me. Other runners up. Uh, cannon. I did not remember. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Kelly. One. So there's is, cannon is a movie. I, I a Burt Reynolds movie, right? No, yeah. I was. I thought you meant runners up. Oh. <laughs> I only had cannon. Uh, I, I don't remember. I don't think I noticed this until I heard the director's commentary. If you guys remember the opening of Brazil, uh, Kim Greist. Greist. Yeah, what, whatever the the this word. The lead actress. She's taking a bath when uh, there's the, the police. What do they do? They cut a hole in the floor. I think she's taking a bath when that happens. Well, she's taking a bath and they cut a hole in the floor because they're doing the whole. It's the it's the mistake arrest that opens the movie. Muddle. Uh, and she's taking a bath, but what I never noticed until Gilliam commented on it in a commentary track is she's watching TV. There's a TV that's on in the living room, and she has set up a network of mirrors. Like there's a mirror on the edge of the tub that goes to the mirror on the wall that goes to a mirror in the hallway. She's watching TV through this series of mirrors, uh, which is such a great little convoluted Brazil touch. Uh, is getting I- a socket in your bathroom better value? Uh, Kelly Wand, it can't be very good for your eyes anyway. Get what's in your eyes out of my TV. <laughs> uh, so other runners up. Other yeah. than the ones I mentioned during the list, uh, the the only other one would be a Fran- another Francis Lawrence film, and that would be um, the bathtub with uh, with Sam in I Am Legend. But they're not taking a bath, are they? What's going on there, Dingus? They're hiding. Well, actually, they they are taking a bath. Right, He's sleep. He's why he washes Sam first uh, after Sam doesn't eat his vegetables or her vegetables. Sam he is gives he give, yeah he gives her a bath and he says you know tomorrow you're gonna eat twice as many vegetables and and he's washing her in the tub and then later that night they go to sleep uh, they fall asleep first in the tub uh, as a way of of protecting themselves or finding comfort. Isn't and that just making it harder to sleep? Than it already is, it's but it's beautiful. It's just such a beautiful image of 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 him in the tub with with his sidekick, with his his companion. It's beautiful. Dingus, is there a bathtub scene in like Water for Elephants? <laughs> There's that's, an elephant. It's Francis Lawrence's other movie, which I don't think anyone on this podcast has seen. Hey, Minority Report. That is a good bathtub scene. What's that bathtub scene? He's hiding because. Uh, he has to, milk. His temperature has to stay down, or the spider bots will find him, because his eyes aren't ready yet from God. the eye surgery. You didn't see this movie? <laughs> no, I did. Yeah, I'm vaguely remembering. Why this. are you pretending I don't know what I'm talking about? I, I know you now. You just want to hear how stupid I can make it sound. <laughs> and then it, the spider bots uh, interrupt the domestic quarrel next door. Oh, never mind. You Hold on. I have to make a note real quick for a future 3x3. Three Hold on, let me write this down. Best scene where the characters have a car built around them while they're fighting. Okay. And then wave. <laughs> they drive. Dingus, do you remember the bathtub scene? Because I, I, I remembered it vaguely, and I, I put the DVD in and watched it again, and was just delighted at how 
really smart and funny it is, but do you remember the bathtub scene from Hedwig and the Angry Inch with Michael Pitt? No. <laughs> so Hedwig and the Angry Inch is uh, sort of a rock opera from several years back, uh, uh, a performer named John Cameron Mitchell, who uh, did this as a stage show and then made this fantastic movie adaptation of it, of the musical. And it's about... Um, an East German refugee rocker. It's, it's just kind of all kinds of ridiculous. Uh, but uh, in the course of the movie, she's explaining her background. And at one point, uh, John Cameron Mitchell plays a transvestite singer in this. She explains how she seduced a sort of a David Bowie type character when he was a young boy. And the character is played by Michael Pitt. And she explains that she was babysitting for his family. Uh, and that's when she met him and they fell in love. And it shows Michael Pitt in a bathtub, obviously um, admiring his unit, uh, exercising his unit, we would say, uh, <laughs> while uh, John Cameron Mitchell in this goofy wig is carrying an infant. She's babysitting and walking back and forth in the bathroom door. And uh, Michael Pitt is watching and is you know, engaging in some self-abuse uh, at the hot babysitter. And there's a tight close-up on his face as the water is churning around while he's in the tub and you see john cameron mitchell like lean back in the doorway and see what he's doing and she walks in and she puts the baby down and leans over the tub and we go back to the tight shot on michael pitt's face and the water's churning up and then both of his hands come up above his head to hold the tub and you realize oh she's taking care of that <laughs> and then she gets up and she wipes her hand on her jeans and picks the baby up and walks out uh and it's oh, that it's their sort of courtship scene. <laughs> but I just love John Cameron Mitchell walking in and putting that little baby down. <laughs> I don't want you to call that abusing yourself. I want, I want you to call that active valor. <laughs> Dingus, those characters in that movie are portrayed by active duty U.S. Navy SEALs. You mm. cannot use the title of that movie as a euphemism for masturbation. Oh, I will not stand for it as an, as a patriotic American. I respect the troops too much. Semper Fi. <laughs> no man left behind, Tom. Uh, all right, I do. I do. I front. No Get other it. runners up for bathtub scenes. I think we've said enough. Okay, I think so. And not just about that. Well, what do you guys think of a new three by three for next week? You ready for this? Oh. I don't know how I feel about this. This one might be a little too complicated. Uh, I know you guys might hate this. Uh, it was inspired by House of the Devil, which we did not. Well, we we saw the director's more recent movie, which is awful, The Innkeepers. We don't recommend it. But a previous movie he had done called House of the Devil. I think we all recommend. We loved it. There's a moment in House of the Devil where a character up to this point, in the movie's been pretty much following this character. We as the audience know what she knows. And at one point in the movie, she comes up to a door and she presses her ear against it to try to listen if there's something on the other side. And she knocks and it's, I think it's locked. And then the camera pans inside the door over the roof and shows us what's in the room. And it is pretty freaking ghastly, but she still doesn't know. So what we have here is the director showing us the audience, something that the main character doesn't know. And I think Hitchcock talked about this with this idea that if there's a there's a bunch of characters in a theater and there's a ticking bomb and the characters in the theater don't know about it, but the audience does, it's a certain kind of dramatic tension. Um, so House of the Devil definitely did that by showing us what's behind the door before the actress, that, that character, knew about it. So what I want from you guys are three instances where the audience knows something, but the characters don't. 
instances that you like, like your favorite instances where the audience knows something that the characters don't. And I'm taking off the table, of course, House of the Devil, and simply because I haven't done enough homework in this regard, I'm taking off the table every single Alfred Hitchcock movie ever made. What do you think of that? <laughs> hmm. So there you go. Wait, what about if the audience knows George Lucas isn't a good writer, but the characters don't know it? I think the characters know that. Oh, that's a good point. Okay, I'm pretty so, sure that hey. that's the only one who doesn't know that, Kelly Wand, is George Lucas. How does he not know that? No, well, he's George What Lucas. do we have to do <laughs> to explain? <laughs> I blame Spielberg. He's got to have a sit-down, and he has chosen not to. Kelly Wand, I'm I think sure if we get on the internet, he'll find out. Yeah, just post something on the internet or a, a strongly written comment on a forum somewhere, Kelly Wand. I'm sure that'll take care of it. He's fine. He's a job creator. Uh, all right, so that's the three or three. What should we see next week? The black. Let's see the black. Uh, I'm not quite ready for something How about that the white. Dark. No, I'm not ready for something that light. Is there anything in between? Maybe. Oh, the chroma key. <laughs> Charcoal. Uh, I'm looking forward to this because I was one of the few. I think few. Uh, not not me. And, if I'm not mistaken, me and Kelly Wan liked A Team, which was directed by Joe Carnahan, more than Dingus. Am I remembering that correctly? No. Me and Dingus liked the A-Team more than Kelly Wand. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, I think so. Okay, then I'm going to go with that. Uh, so The Gray is Joe Carnahan's next movie. Oh, God. Uh, why are you going, oh, God? He did the A-Team? Oh, that's why you're going, okay. Yeah, he also did uh, oh, Rats. What was that Ray Liotta thing with uh, Dingus helping out? Narc. Did he do Narc? He did? Oh, Jason Patrick. Wasn't it Ray Liotta and Jason Patrick? Yeah. Yeah. Uh. And he did the smoke and at least one of the smoke and aces movies, but we won't hold that There's against. There's more him. than one of those fucking things. I think there are. He did the one where Chris Pine gets. I, I think it's Chris Pine gets Ben Affleck out of the picture quickly. Uh, I think that's one of the best things about smoke and aces. I thought that was Star Trek. <laughs> gotcha. Very good. Uh, so join us for that next week. Uh, see the gray, and then join us. We'll be uh, discussing it here, and we will do a three by three of things the audience knows but the characters don't. Like in the Woman in Black preview. I haven't seen it. Does that look good, Kelly? <gasps> it's about an audience not knowing something. So I've actually seen the original made-for-TV one. So there's a TV. It's a BBC TV show, yeah. It's like uh, some masterpiece theatery kind what? of. What? Yeah, I know. How about that? That is Japanese because it's got a ghost in it. I don't yeah, know. This is, is not. This is not J horror. This is B horror or E horror, depending on what you want to call it. Britain horror or England horror. Horror. Uh, yeah, exactly. Blimey. Royal royal horror, maybe. Roll at the tavern tonight, governor. That's all. Uh, so, uh, but we're not seeing Woman in Black yet. Uh, uh, hold that thought, Kelly Wand. Almost color-wise, but not quite. Exactly. Uh, so I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian M Merlansky. That's close. You're getting there. It's Christian Murawski. And Kelly Wand. Here's a Soderbergh non-actor idea. Newt Gingrich has powder.
As a protest against SOFA, this podcast will now end, unless Dingus had something to add. <laughs>